With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are, Tennis.com Podcast uh, from a, an electrically lit office in New York City. I am Ed McGrogan here with Richard Pagliaro, both of us suffering the ill effects of an um, unseasonably snowy uh, October, um, candlelight, all that. It's actually true if you're uh, hearing us from afar. Uh, it's not one of those media-created uh, stories to drive up oil or any of those things that actually happened. So we're glad to be both here talking with you. Um, you know, have the sweaters on, of course. It, it is pretty brisk up here in these parts. So uh, good to have you. And we did, you know, catch as much as we could of the tennis this weekend, the primary event being the WTA Championships in Istanbul, which wrapped up. Uh, Petra Kvitova wins that tournament. She beats Victoria Azarenka in the final, and we'll talk about both of those two here. Um, Kvitova went through the tournament without losing a match. Um, Azarenka dropped one match in the round robin. It was a meaningless one to Marion Bartoli. Um, Richard, just about those two, I think we always like to, when we have the year-end season-end tournament here, we like to predict you know, this is just these two players really sizing up for an even bigger twenty you know next season in this case twenty twelve. Um, Azarenka doesn't have a slam. Kvitova, you know, has one. She won Wimbledon. I guess what do you take going away from this term particular for both of these two? Well, I mean, if if you're Wozniacki, you're hearing footsteps and you're hearing them fast because I think Kvitova's will definitely, barring injury or just you know, unable to deal with the pressure, I think she'll definitely be the next number one. And, and yeah, I think she's going to win another major, maybe a couple next year. Although, you know, it's difficult to say because you have Kleisters coming back and the Williams sisters, and I don't discount uh, any of those players. But I think what Kavitova showed you is that not only the completeness of the game, but her power is a very easy power. And I think once she learns to channel that and control it and realize, look, you don't have to go for the winner every shot it's just going to make her fastball that much faster so i you know undefeated indoors look dominant um you know i i think she's the real deal yeah we there is a um a post on our ticker talking about the points that uh, separate wozniacki from kavitova azarenka even sharapova they're all very close um and this is where this past year wozniacki had most of her titles um, in the early in the early spring, um, and it looks it looks like you're saying almost assured that um, Kvitova will pass her. Um, you know, it would take really sort of an epic uh, collapse, not for that to happen. Um, for Azarenka, you know, I I think about her. 
I think a lot of people talk about Azarenka and they say that she still doesn't really have that finishing touch weapon that can that can you know make her baseline game uh, really a dominant game over players. And I I almost wonder if she is in a way caught up in the same um, same situation that Wozniacki is really sort of a you know baseline heavy player. She might be more aggressive, I, I suppose, in Wozniacki, but does she have should we be talking about those two really in the same light? They're both kind of looking for the big breakthrough. You know, they've won pretty much everything else, but they don't have that really, you know, go-to weapon. I think another common uh, similarity between Wozniacki and Azarenka is they're both best on hard court. So I'd like to see her develop a little. I mean, I know she got to the Madrid final this year and she's had other good results on clay, but I'd like to see her sort of translate that to other surfaces. Uh, I think she's more offensive than Wozniacki, and I think she's more actively looking to end the point quicker than Wozniacki. So I think her offensive skills are a little bit better. Uh, I just think Wozniacki to this point in their careers has been mentally tougher. You Mm -hmm. know, the days where she doesn't have it or she's not feeling it more often, she finds a way to sort of fight through. Although, you know, if she loses number one early, you wonder what kind of impact that could have maybe it'll liberate her where she won't have to deal with the questions anymore, or maybe it'll be like, geez, you know, it's going to be a climb to get back there. Right. One player also who I think, uh, you know, besides Kvitova, who I think has a really good next season lined up, I was very impressed with. I was sort of validated in a way with Stozer, who I I picked at the beginning to win the event, and she did. Um, she made the final four. She was the she took um, a set off of Azarenka, or set off of um, Kvitova, sorry. She was the first player to do so. And I do think that, um, you know, kind of like with Kvitova, you have a very serve-based game. Um, and she really, I think she's also kind of a pretty mentally strong player at this point after what we saw at the U.S. Open, of course, with her taking out Serena in the final there. And so I don't think you can question that, right? I do think that Stozer might not be a one-and-done player either, also for the reason that she still is only a recently a, a, a singles-committed player. She's had lots of doubles under her belt, which may help her, you know, um, physically as well, but I th- I'll think she, also think she has a big appetite still, you know, for what remains. So I think I see a good 2012 for Stozer as well. I don't know if, um, if there's any other players you're thinking about for down the road or any other takeaways from the WTA? What you I, thought? I tend to agree with you on Stoser. It's been tough for her to sort of put those results up in Australia because she's from Australia. People expect right. so much about her. But I think on the upside with her is that, you know, she was number one in the world in doubles and I still don't see her using all those double skills as much as she possibly could in singles. And I think what I saw from her last week that was really encouraging is how she managed the backhand, and she just played it back deep. When she had to scrap and slice it back, she did what she had to do, and then when she got the four, she was patient to get the forehand and not sort of force matters. But I think when she takes the volley in the transition game that she has shown you in doubles to the singles court, I think her up, she's got a higher ceiling than than we've seen, and obviously beating Serena in a Grand Slam final on her home soil, I mean, that does wonders for you. If you can beat Serena in the United States in a major final, I mean, you got to like your chances against anybody, you know, in any, in any final. Yeah. Now, here we have, this is the last point we'll make about the women um, today, and then we'll go to the men here, but we've had this whole big discussion here about um, you know what's coming forward for the women's tour in 2012, and the only mention of 
Uh, Serena Williams has been just what we're saying, being defeated by Stozer. We haven't mentioned Kim Kleisters at all, who um, not 10 months ago looked like she could win the Grand Slam conceivably. Um, there's still Venus Williams, of course. Uh, I guess the last p- question I have is, what do you really expect from these uh, these veterans um, going forward? I, 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 think I, can, I think you can kind of group them all into one segment, at least in my opinion, that um, they all seem to be uh, looking at the last, last sort of runs for their careers, I think, in different ways. Um, but do you expect them sort of like this, this year to really sort of, once they come back, they assume their spot and that's just how good they are? Or do you think we're entering kind of a different era? I think with Serena and Kleisters, I don't think the number one ranking matters to them as much. I mean, sure, they take it if, if the results put them there, but I don't think they're playing for number one. I think they're both playing for majors. And people say to me, well, geez, how can you keep talking about Serena, you know, she only plays three, four months a year, but I mean, come on, wake up. Look at the last three, four years of her career. She's been a sporadic player. And when she's there playing and committed to playing, she could play with anybody. So I, I, to me, Serena, if she stays healthy and stays motivated, she's got another three to five years. She's only 30. And the mileage on her body is not nearly what it is for other 30 year olds, simply because she rarely plays you know, a 10-month schedule. She just doesn't. Some of that is illness and injury that she's had, but some of it is just, that's just her scheduling. So I think for them, they're always, I mean, at least for the foreseeable future, they're going to be forces at the majors, and I don't think number one is really a priority for mm-hmm. either one of them. They've sort of been there, done that, and I don't think they need the sort of other validation, you know, responsibility right. and validation mm-hmm. that goes along with it. I think they it's not a... It's not a goal. Yeah. Now, in a very, I think, symbolic way this week, we have two um, really loaded men's tournaments here. The women's season, for all intents and purposes, is through. There is the Fed Cup final coming up later this weekend. Uh, we'll, um, that obviously still warrants coverage. There's also a, a, a second year, sort of like a minor league year-end tournament in right. Bali, Indonesia, which... I don't think he's going to merit much of any coverage and probably deservedly so in a way. Um, it's sort of an odd placement after the actual year in championships. But on the men's side, before the the London event, which is their year-end championships, begins, there's a lot of interesting warm-up events for that. The last Masters is next week in Paris. This week in Valencia and Basel, um, both 500-level ATP tournaments. Um, these are some, some substantial draws in Basel, you have Djokovic, who returns first time since since Davis Cup. Federer, same thing. Murray takes a wild card in the tournament. Burdich, Marty Fish, Yanko Tipsarovic, Andy Roddick, Victor Troitsky, those are just the seeds. Um, you get the unseeded players. It's, it's really impressive. And the same can be said for Valencia. Both tournaments, actually, all of their seeded players are in the top 20. Uh, Valencia, you have Ferrer, um, is Sanga playing this? Because he he is number two in this. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he would, but he did just um, he did just beat he did Del just beat Potro Del Potro, and, uh, who was also yeah, in this. Right. Um, Simone, who's actually already out of this as of this recording. Almagro, Monfils, Delgopolov, Feliciano Lopez. Um, again, some very big unseated players too. Query, um, Isner, Verdasco's unseated. It, it's really remarkable. Uh, Kind of the men are just waiting for these two tournaments for their big year-end push. Um, I guess out out of these two, what's what's kind of the thing? I think I think I know the answer. 
the returns of really Djokovic, Federer, especially. I guess what do you expect from those two? Boy, it's hard to say just because Federer hasn't won a title since January. You know, you you know it's he's an amazing stat. That amazing, he's only won or, one title. Totally amazing. I mean, astounding. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you you were expecting to be super hungry, and he always plays well in his hometown. Djokovic has had good results in Basel too. So you wonder those two basically skipping the whole Asian swing. How how that's going to play out if they're going to be sort of rested and refreshed, or a little rusty, or, or a combination of all the above. To me, Murray's the story there because. Mm-hmm. The guy was just so dominant in Asia, and that you see no reason why he wouldn't sort of continue that. And he, ever all the comments I'm reading from, he sounds hungry and he sounds motivated. So it, it'll be interesting if either of those two run into Murray, how that'll go down. Yeah, these are you look at the draws here. These are essentially like masters level draws. Sure. Both these. If you take Murray for example, I read this um, somewhere. He opens with. Haas, he could play Ravrinka, who's unseated in his second match. And he beat Murray at the Open a couple of years ago. Right. Tipsarovich, who you mentioned, is like is on playing fire, every sure. everything in sight, and he is on fire. Um, he could play him in the you know the quarters, the semis. Has Federer, of course. Djokovic in the final, depending on how Djokovic looks. Um, it, it's a really really strong draw, and. We're going to have a preview of both of those um, Tuesday officially. And, and if you're fed or not just because of the title drop, but also because London coming up where he's obviously got the points on the table, it's important for him to get off well here, obviously, not just because it's his hometown, but because of what's coming up as well. And to me, as, as, I, as I've said all along, I, I still feel like we it, enough attention cannot be not enough attention can be paid to what Djokovic still can achieve with this season. It seems like a long time ago since we've last um, talked about that. The U.S. Open, you know, it, it's over a month and a half ago, which in tennis terms is like, you know, five years ago, it seems like. But um, if somehow he ended up winning this term, I think it is sort of unrealistic to think that considering how good this field is and what, you know, what, the last we've seen of Djokovic, but if if he ended up winning this tournament and you, you get on that whole train right right back on it about you know are we watching the best season right. of all time really um, and we'll have a Masters to go and then London it really does shape up uh, it's a pretty pretty exciting. A period here for uh, men's especially fans. given his performance in masters events this year it's mind-blowing i mean it's it's unprecedented really you look at what he's done in masters events so I, i'm interested to see how he carries that into paris where traditionally that surface plays usually the fastest among them among the uh, second half masters events yep yeah so we're gonna be as i said looking at both of those tournaments this week uh Big full preview tomorrow, Tuesday, from Steve Tigner here on Tennis.com. We're going to have a lot of coverage of both of those on our blogs, the Racky Reaction blog, etc. So please tune in for that, and uh, we'll talk to you next time here on the podcast. For Richard Peglero, I am Ed McGrogan. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 